needs a week two handout. If you don't have a week two handout, put your hands up and somebody will get you one. If you don't have anything to write on your week two handout, put your hand up and somebody will get you a pen or something to write with. A couple people here, one back here, over here. Yeah, everybody needs to have one of these and, and it'll help if you have something to write on it with as well. Glad that you're here. Last week we began our Every Believer a Witness uh, effort here at Bay Area. And we are talking about doing a better job of the job that Jesus gave us all right before he left this earth. And that is telling people about him. And if you were here last week, just a little quick recap, you remember that I mentioned a couple reasons why we don't do a better job of telling people about Jesus. And one of those reasons was that some Christians ignore or misunderstand Jesus' commands. I mean, it's, sometimes it really is as simple as that. We know what Jesus did for us, and we know what Jesus expects of us, but no thanks. We're not going to do that. Another reason was many Christians have misplaced priorities. Now, we love Jesus and we love His Word, but, but life is really hard and busy and you know other things start creeping into our lives, not necessarily bad things, just other things, and Jesus sort of gets pushed aside. And we also talked about most Christians forget about the fate of lost people. We don't like to talk about hell. And we don't like to think about hell. And we certainly don't like to think about people we love possibly being in hell. But Jesus makes it clear that hell is real. And hell is horrible. And if you remember last week, I asked you to make a, a couple commitments. I asked you to, to be praying that uh, you would be obedient to God in witnessing. And I asked you to be praying that uh, you would be able to see people the way Jesus sees people. And then we talked about the fact that God's plan for sharing the message is us. His plan isn't some miraculous revelation. You know, it's not angels whispering in our ear at night. It's not some slick marketing campaign. The plan is people who know Jesus telling people who don't know Jesus how they can come to know Jesus. And that's God's plan. It's really the only plan that He has. So last week we spent some time talking about the why of witnessing. This morning I want to begin talking about the how of witnessing. In fact, if you see the front of your handout today, the title is Developing Know-How. What do we say? Which is really sort of the emphasis of this whole series is how do we do it? What do we say? And I'll tell you up front, we're not going to get real deep into that this morning and I'll explain why. This section, this amount of material, it really deserves about an hour and 20 minutes to really get through it completely and do it justice. And we could do that all today. But I've chosen to break that up into two lessons. You're welcome. Um, next week you'll have another handout, a different handout, and we'll kind of pick up where we leave off this week. But we're going to split that up, so be sure you're here next week as well. Uh, I heard about a, a preacher who was speaking at a church for the very first time. And uh, he's a pretty long-winded guy anyway. But as he was speaking, every time he made a point, someone would say, Amen, brother, and that kind of fired him up. Preach on! That kind of fired him up. And he'd take off down another you know, direction. 
Finally, after about an hour, this old fellow in the back started shouting every time he said something, Amen, Pharaoh! <laughs> He'd never quite heard that before and he didn't know what it meant, but he kept going. Amen, Pharaoh! After about six or eight Amen, Pharaohs, he finally wrapped up the lesson. As everybody was leaving the building that day, he ran down that old gentleman and said, Excuse me, sir, I couldn't help but notice you kept shouting Amen, Pharaoh, when I made a great point. Why were you saying that? The old gentleman said, I was trying to tell you, let my people go. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you go this morning, pretty close to on time. But first we have to start talking about some important things as we think about the, the how of witnessing. What do I say? How do I do it? And this whole focus really is taken from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this idea of witnessing. Uh, Jesus uh, tells his disciples this fact. Let's read Acts 1, 8 together. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. And then he tells those people exactly where they're going to witness. First in Jerusalem, then Judea then Samaria, then the ends of the world. Jesus says, start right where you are. Start at home. Be my witness. And then everywhere you go, tell people about me. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something that I've never asked you to do before. And there's a good chance I'll never ask you to do it again. I want you to pretend that we are not in church right now. Okay? We're not here in church. You're not sitting in a church pew. You don't have your church clothes on. You're not listening to an amazing preacher. Use your imagination. You can do it. But in fact, pretend you don't really know much about the Bible at all. We're not having a spiritual conversation. We're just, you know, a group of people, a group of friends. We're together. When I use the word witness, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? What scene do you think of when we start talking about witnessing? A courtroom. Yeah. And doesn't a courtroom come to your mind? Let me ask another question. Has anyone in here ever been a witness in a court case? Has anyone? Okay, several of you. I'm going to try something. Ma'am. Turn this one on for me, Matt. Um, tell us your name, Kathy. Kathy. <laughs> Kathy, thank you. And you were a witness in a court case. Is something you can sort of talk about a little bit? Yeah. What, what kind of was the case? What kind of made up the case? Child custody. A child custody. Did, um, did someone ask you questions? Yes. Was it a lawyer or a judge? or A lawyer. A lawyer asked you questions? Okay. Did you have to say, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, you did. What were some of the questions that you were asked? About the behavior of the parent. Okay, about the, the behavior of the parent. What, like, anything specific? Misconduct. Okay, they were asking for details? Yes. Right, asking for details. Mm -hmm. um, can you share any, like, specific question, that anything that came up that they were asking your opinion on? Was the father guilty of a lot of different sins? Okay. Was, was, as far as you knew, 
was something going on there that shouldn't have been going on. Absolutely. Is that basically what you were asked? And, and you answered as honestly as you could. Yes. And you gave details when they asked for details. Yes. Okay. I heard about a, uh, a witness who was asked to witness for in, a, uh, in a court case with an accident, and the lawyer said, okay, this accident occurred at the corner of Elm and Oak Street. How far were you from that intersection? The man said, I was 25 yards, 2 feet, and 3 inches from that intersection. And the lawyer said, well, that's pretty specific. What would you do, go measure it? And he said, I did. The lawyer said, why would you do that? Because I knew some lawyer was going to ask me the details. Okay, let's go back to church. We're back in church, okay? Kathy shared that she was a witness in an actual court case. She told what she knew. Now, Kathy, I didn't ask you this, but I'm sure that if the lawyer would have asked you, well, what did your husband tell you to say? They probably didn't want to hear that, did they? And if Kathy would have said, well, you know, my... Uh, my family told me to say this, or my friend Tim told me to say this if I got that question. They wouldn't want to hear that. Because what they want to hear is what Kathy actually knew to be true herself. Witnessing for Jesus isn't telling people what someone else told us to say. And witnessing for Jesus isn't reciting some steps that we learned in Sunday school one day. Witnessing for Jesus really is telling people what we personally know to be true. That's what being a witness for Jesus is. And the details are important. There's a great model for witnessing found in Acts chapter 22. In Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul has been arrested and he's, he's giving his testimony before a crowd. Now, if you look in your handout, you'll see some references to Acts 26. Acts 26 is another time the same guy, the Apostle Paul, is telling the same story to a different group. In Acts 26, he's talking to King Agrippa, but in Acts 22, he is speaking to a crowd as he's in the process of being arrested. I actually think they're both fantastic templates for witnessing. I think Acts 22 is actually a little bit more dramatic. So you might want to write in your handout there where it says Acts 26. You might pencil in Acts 22 as well because that's what I'm going to be referencing today. Paul is going to start talking about his life before he knew Jesus. I'm in the middle of page 2 on your handout. A model for witnessing. Paul talks about his life before he knew Jesus. And I just want to read through Paul's Jesus story, the Acts 22 version. Here's what Paul says. Brothers and esteemed fathers, listen to me as I offer my defense. You might be reading from a translation that says, as I give my witness. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. I am a Jew born in Tarsus a city in Cilicia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. At his feet I learned to follow our Jewish laws and customs very carefully. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just as all of you are today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, binding and delivering both men and women to prison. 
The high priest and the whole council of leaders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. Paul is telling his story. Paul is telling what his life was like before he met Jesus. And by the way, he didn't pull in any punches. He is being brutally honest on who he was, what he did, what his life looked like before Jesus came into his life. And he's giving details. But then he transitions his story into how he met Jesus. And he'll start talking about when and where and who and what. He's about to tell this crowd how he met Jesus. And again, he is giving specific details. He's going to share what Jesus did. He's going to share what he did in response. Let's listen to, the, to Paul's how. I'm in verse 6, Acts 22. And I was on the road nearing Damascus about noon. A very bright light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? I asked. And he replied, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you're persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't hear the voice. I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus and there you will be told all that you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led into Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man in his devotion to the law. He was well thought of by all the Jews of Damascus. He came to me and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour, I could see him. Then he told me, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. You are to take his message everywhere, telling the whole world what you've seen and heard. And now, why delay? Get up and be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul is telling these people how he came into contact with Jesus. He's telling them his Jesus story, and he's giving them details. Here is what happened to me. Here's who was involved in the, in the process. Here's who God used to, to help me. Here's what I was told to do. Here's what I did. And then he's going to transition into his life since Jesus came in. I'm in the middle of page 3 on your handout. Again, Acts 26 is referenced. Read that this afternoon. It's really great too. Uh, but we're, we're reading from Acts 22. Verse 17. One day after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't believe you when you give them your testimony about me. Listen, when you tell people your Jesus story, not everyone's going to listen. Not everyone wants to hear it. Not everyone's going to care. That's okay. Skip down to verse 21. But the Lord said to me, Leave Jerusalem, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. God gives this man, Paul, a mission. He gives him a purpose in his life. 
I want you to go tell people about Jesus. Specifically, Paul is told, I want you to tell the Gentiles about Jesus. And if you don't know anything about the Apostle Paul, let me just say this, he'd spend the rest of his life doing exactly that. Telling people about Jesus. So here's Paul. He's giving his testimony. He's witnessing both Acts 22 and Acts 26. He's telling his story. He tells what his life was like before, and he's brutally honest. He tells how he came in contact with Jesus and what he was supposed to do and what he did. And then he told about his life after that event. It's a great model for witnessing. But notice the statement at the bottom of page 3 in your handout. Most Christians think, I don't have a dramatic story like that. I don't have much of a testimony. People aren't going to be impressed with my story. Nobody's going to pay attention to, to what I have to say. And then the question is asked, is that true? Let me ask you a, another question. Kind of an opinion thing. If you were to travel around all of America, maybe for that matter all the world, and you were to ask people, what is the most beloved hymn of all time? What is, what is the best known, most loved Christian hymn ever written, ever sung? What do you think most people would say? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. That's exactly what I thought as well. Oh, Amazing Grace, what a beautiful hymn. Um, hey, Keith, could you start us and let, let's sing together the first verse of Amazing Grace? Let's sing it together. By the way, I was singing in my heart. <laughs> everyone should sing. Not everyone should sing with a microphone. So, again, you're welcome. So, let me point out what you just called yourself. I didn't call you this. You just called yourself a wretch. But you know what? Most of us don't believe that. Not really. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with each other, we don't really believe that. We sang it, but we don't believe it. This morning I want to use some scripture to remind us of who we were and what we were before we knew Jesus. I'm on page four. Five words that are going to describe who we were before Jesus, and then five scriptures to go along with those words. We just sang it. The first word that describes us before we knew Jesus, we were lost. You were lost. I don't care who you were. I don't care where you're from. Before Jesus, you were lost. I know a lot of you know a little bit of my story. And I'm aware that my story is a pretty dull story. <laughs> a pretty boring story, really. You know, I grew up in the middle of nowhere on a farm. 
I, I grew up in really a wonderful family, a little bit weird, but still, for the most part, truly wonderful. I grew up with parents that loved each other. They loved us kids, still do. In my home, God was worshipped. Jesus was honored. I used to take that for granted. I don't anymore. But all my life, I have had people tell me something that I hate to hear every time I hear it. Well, you were raised in the church, right, Tim? You grew up in the church, right? I hate that phrase. I hate it. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, I grew up going to church. I did not grow up in the church. When we tell somebody, oh, you grew up in the church, it kind of sounds like, well, you never were really very lost. I mean, your whole life you've been almost saved. Listen, before I claimed the blood of Jesus, I was lost. Just like you. Let's read Matthew or Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is Jesus speaking. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Without Jesus, none of us would ever find our way back to the Father. And had I never claimed that gift, I'd still be lost. And then notice this. Before Jesus, we were blind. We sang it just a minute ago. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And that's not true because of some words that John Newton wrote in 1779. It's true because of what the Holy Spirit recorded in God's Word. Let's read it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The gods of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Before Jesus, we were lost. Before Jesus, we were blind. Before Jesus, we were wicked. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as wicked. It sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Wicked? You might be reading from a translation that says ungodly, which even sounds worse to me. Wicked. Ungodly. We don't think of ourselves in those terms. You want to know why? Because we all hold firmly to the doctrine of relative righteousness. We just compare ourselves to someone else. It's like the two friends running from the angry bear. I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun my friend. Now, if, if I can find somebody that I'm a little bit better than, then I'll feel good about myself. If I can find somebody whose life's a little bit more messed up than mine, then, then I'll feel pretty good about myself. But when we compare ourselves to a holy God, we are wicked. And we are ungodly. You say, but wait a minute, I, you know, I've never been arrested. Uh, I, I've never spent time in prison. I've, I've never been caught up in some scandal. In fact, I do pretty good things. I've helped people. I'm a pretty good guy. Once in Matthew 7, Jesus was talking about the judgment, and He said, not, not some, not a few, not, not you know a handful. Jesus says, many, many will say to Me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not cast out demons in Your name? Did we not perform miracles in Your name? Remember what Jesus told them? Depart from Me. I don't know you. 
In fact, he called those people evildoers in that passage. Let's read Romans 4, verse 5 together. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So you were lost, you were blind, you were wicked. And then Scripture tells us before Jesus, we were dead. Ephesians chapter 2, let's read it together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Two weeks ago, my son-in-law's grandfather passed away um, rather quickly and unexpectedly. And he was a wonderful papa to Jeremy and to Maggie and their three children. Last weekend, uh, their family traveled to Illinois for the memorial service. During the service, uh, Maggie, my daughter, her little one-year-old son started getting fussy, so she got up and took him out of the auditorium. She took her three-year-old boy with her because they both kind of needed to be someplace where they didn't have to sit so still and so quiet for a long time. But she found an empty room, and she and her two sons were there kind of letting them uh, expend some energy. And she FaceTimed Martha and I while she was in that room. Uh, we knew that the kids had been sick, and they drove through a blizzard to get there, so we were sort of worried about them, and she FaceTimed let us know that everything's okay, you know, things are fine, we got here safe, the kids are still sick, but, you know, I'm glad we were able to be here. And while we're FaceTiming, her little three-year-old boy, Locke, came up, and, and Maggie, you know, was talking to us on her phone, and, and he tapped her on the, on the knee and said, Mom, is Papa awake yet? Maggie said, oh, sweetie, Papa's not waking back up. And he sort of drifted away, and not 30 seconds later, he came back and tapped her on the knee and said, when's Papa waking up? No, Maggie's like, I gotta go. Dead people don't wake up, do they? Dead people don't do anything on their own. Paul tells us in Ephesians, That's, that was us. Before Jesus, we were dead in our transgressions and sin. Paul doesn't say, without Jesus, you weren't doing so well. And Paul doesn't say, without Jesus, you weren't quite all you could be. And he doesn't say, without Jesus, you weren't sick, or you were sick. What Paul says, without Jesus, you were dead. You were dead. Without Jesus, we're dead. And whether or not you believe that will go a long way in determining whether or not you believe the true gospel. Because, you know, human philosophy and, and human understanding, we say, well, mankind, you know, people, they're sick, they're broken, but we can fix them. We can fix people. We'll get them an education. We'll put them in counseling. We'll put them in a 12-step program. We'll give them some governmental aid. We'll, we'll send them to church. People are broken. People are sick. But we can fix them. Paul is saying here, without Jesus, you're not sick. You're dead. And what can a dead person do for himself? Absolutely nothing. Take a corpse to school. They don't get any smarter. 
Put a, put a dead person in counseling. It doesn't help. Qualify them for government aid. It won't do any good. Put them in church. It won't change anything. Because without Jesus, we are dead in our sins and our transgressions. The Bible talks about the impossibility of us saving ourselves. Or anybody else for that matter. You can't do anything about your situation when you're dead. But then in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is going to pin the best two little words that you will find anywhere in Scripture. It talks about being dead in our transgressions and sins, but God. Not but government. Not but education. Not but family. Not even but religion. Paul says you were dead in your sins and transgressions, but God is so rich in mercy. And He loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's special favor that you've been saved. So apart from Jesus, you were lost, blind, wicked, dead. And then Romans 5 tells us that apart from Jesus, we were actually an enemy of God. Let's read together Romans 5, verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. Whether your childhood was idyllic, whether it was completely dysfunctional, whether you grew up in a mansion or whether you grew up on the side of the road, whether you're a junior high dropout or you have a Ph.D. in theology, before Jesus, you were lost, blind, wicked, dead, an enemy of God. But in Christ Jesus, we are found... Our eyes have been opened. We have been counted as holy. We have been made alive. And because of Jesus, we are a child of God. Now Christians say, well, I don't have a dramatic story to tell. I don't have much of a testimony. Listen, if you've been brought from darkness to light, if you've been brought from lost to saved, if you have been brought from death to life, you have an amazing Jesus story to tell. You have a fantastic story to be sharing with people. You have the same story that Paul, Peter, James, and John, and countless other people have to share. People who are, are children of God. But here's what happens. We understand all those things about ourselves apart from Christ. We understand our, our lostness. And, and we're cut to the heart. And so we repent of our sins. Just like Scripture tells us to do. We confess Jesus as the Lord of our lives. Just like we're told to do. We're baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Just like Paul was in Acts chapter 22. But it seems that the longer we live and the farther we move from that conversion experience, we start to lose the wonder 
and the calling and the joy of life in Christ. And talking about Jesus and bragging about Jesus and giving Him the glory for for the way that uh, we've been blessed. For some reason, we just seem to get quieter and quieter and quieter. And we end up, we don't even talk about the very One who has rescued us from all those things that we once were. So next week, we're going to start talking about the nitty-gritty of how to tell your Jesus story. Again, we could stay another 45 minutes today, but I'm suggesting we all come back next week. And I want you to come back with an open heart, an open mind, ready to be stretched, ready to be challenged, ready to be used, and I think maybe ready to be blessed like never before. But between then and now, there's something else that I want you to do. Last week, I asked you to be praying about this effort and about our lives, and there were some cards that um, you picked up on the way out of the auditorium. I want to do that again this week. And I don't know how many of you took those cards. I don't know how many of you prayed during the week. If you did, thank you. If you didn't, you left a lot of power on the table this week. But I'm going to challenge us again to, uh, as we leave the auditorium this morning, there's going to be another card that I want you to take with you. And the card has this prayer on it. Lord, help me to remember what I was before Jesus. Thank you for saving me and changing me. I'm going to challenge you to pray that prayer every day this week. It's a simple prayer, but it is a powerful request. Because when you remember who you were before Jesus, when you remember what Jesus has done for you, listen, you are going to explode in thanksgiving. And you're going to be brought to your knees in humility. And you really are going to have this burning desire to tell somebody what Jesus did in your life. So if I could get the ushers with people leaving and have those cards ready in a few minutes... But before we do that, as always, as a church family, we want to give you an opportunity to, to share anything that might be on your heart. You know, we've all got things going on in our lives and, and, and struggles and victories and, and things. That, you know, there's something that, as a church family, we can be praying for you or with you. There'll be some people at the front of the auditorium. You can share with us there. Let's stand and sing.